Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert was designed as something of an homage to the great ballet and arts impresario Sergei Diaghilev, and even more so to perhaps the greatest dancer to ever dance with his company, Václav Nijinsky. You know, there's been such incredible interest that's swirled around Nijinsky's figure because he had such a strange and ultimately extraordinarily tragic life. In short, Nijinsky was born in 1890 in Russia. At the age of nine, he became a student at the Russian Imperial Ballet School and at the age of 18 became one of the leading ballet dancers in the Imperial Ballet Troupe. Uh, After a brief stint as an amazingly successful dancer in Russia, uh, he was invited by his good friend and soon-to-be lover, Sergei Diaghilev, to be the lead male dancer in his newly formed Ballet Russe troupe, which was uh, the whole premise of the Ballet Russe was to bring the greatest Russian artists, and particularly the greatest Russian ballet dancers, to the West, specifically to Paris, to do seasons in the French capital. The company was so wildly successful that it actually became a touring ensemble that, that toured the whole world, North America, South America included, with Nijinsky as one of the lead dancers. Diaghilev was a fascinating figure in that he, um, the way, best way to describe him, I guess, is as a, a one-man employment agency for all the greatest performing artists and visual artists of the early part of the 20th century. Not only did he... Uh, feature composers like Igor Stravinsky, whom he basically discovered, Sergei Prokofiev, Maurice Ravel, Debussy, Eric Satie, Manuel de Falla. But he had his sets painted by artists, including Pablo Picasso and Henri Matisse. And he featured the greatest dancers and choreographers of the time, chief among them, Nijinsky. And Diaghilev's troupe was an absolutely amazing group, which gave premieres of all of Stravinsky's earliest ballets, as well as other major, major works of the first part of the 20th century. It was he, in 1909, who discovered this young, virtually unknown Russian composer, Igor Stravinsky, who had recently been a student of Rimsky-Korsakov. He'd heard some... uh, Uh, pieces of Stravinsky's and was very impressed by them and asked him to orchestrate a couple of Chopin numbers, which Stravinsky did very well. And then in the uh, 1909 season, the second season of the Ballet Russe, Diaghilev suddenly needed a composer to write a new ballet to the Russian uh, folk legend, the Firebird. He had uh, commissioned a composer named Lyadov, who was a famous procrastinator. And when uh, Lyadov was seen in the street a few months before the performance and asked how the composition was going, he said, oh, it's going wonderfully. I've already purchased the manuscript paper. So Diaghilev realized that waiting for Lyadov was not a good idea. And he turned to this young, unknown, untested composer, Igor Stravinsky, and asked him to write The Firebird. 
The rest, as we say, is musical ballet history. Uh, the Firebird made Stravinsky an overnight sensation. And then for the next uh, season of the Ballet Russe, uh, Stravinsky joined Diaghilev's artistic team and created a brand new ballet. It was based on a, a piano piece uh, that Stravinsky had been working on, a sort of mini piano concerto about that figure from Russian country fairs, a very common figure, Petrushka, or Little Peter. Uh, in puppet shows at country fairs, there are these three stock figures, the Petrushka puppet, the ballerina, and the Moor, and invariably the Moor and Petrushka, the ugly little puppet, uh, little Peter, fight over the ballerina with the Moor invariably winning. And Stravinsky decided to turn this into first a piano concerto. When Diaghilev heard it, he recommended that Stravinsky amplify the piece, enlarge it, and turn it into a ballet, which in fact he did. And it was, uh, again, an absolute international sensation. The role of Petrushka was created for the ballet dancer Nijinsky. It was, according to all reports, his very favorite role to dance because Petrushka is a a strange and beautiful and sad little figure. The the story of the ballet runs as follows. Uh, There are four tableaus or four scenes, each leading into the next and separated only by uh, sort of a sound of very loud but and very dramatic, but toy drums. The ballet takes place at a Russian country fair. And in the first big tableau, we hear all the noise and commotion of the fair, leading eventually to some soft music and the first of these little drum tattoos, uh, which announces the arrival of the magician. And the magician is the puppeteer. He has these little puppets, and he sets his puppets up, and then by flicking his magic flute at them, playing his magic flute, he brings the three of them to life. And they dance this wild, frenetic, Russian dance. And so the first tableau ends with this wild, crazed dance of the three puppets. That leads directly into the second tableau with another drum tattoo. And in the second tableau, Petrushka, who's now no longer just a puppet, but a puppet who's imbued with human feelings. Not only does he feel everything, but he feels everything extremely deeply and feels his own ugliness and his own hopeless love for the ballerina. He's a kind of heart-sick little puppet, has been kicked into his little cell, and he rages at the world with his little trumpet, uh, these strange little, what's called the Petrushka chord, to uh, two chords that are as far away from each other as can be, a tritone, musicological terms, that sound against each other to make this kind of jarring sound. And he laments his fate, and it's in this second tableau that we hear the remnants of that initial piano concerto, which was Stravinsky's first idea for how this piece would unfold. Very uh, prominent and difficult piano part. And the piano part expresses both Petrushka's rage as well as his, his heartsick feelings of love for the ballerina, his unrequited love for the ballerina. At a certain point, the ballerina comes in, and Petrushka does a silly little dance for her. She runs away kind of in horror at, at his grotesque nature, and uh, he collapses in anger and despair. Then we hear the drum tattoo again, leading to the Moor's cell. The Moor is a very different figure from Petrushka, completely self-confident, kind of a big, dumb macho thug of a puppet. Uh, He's playing a little Russian game with a coconut, throwing it in the air when we see him, and dancing around. Uh, The ballerina comes in playing her little trumpet and dances for him, and he responds with kind of a a dumb thug dance, and their their dances are combined in a little waltz. And then finally Petrushka comes in, and the moor chases him out of the cell. And that leads to the last drum tattoo, to the final brilliant tableau, the fourth tableau of the ballet, which is, again, back from the world, the inner world of the two inner tableaus, the inner life of these puppets, back out to the external world, to the world of this 
beautiful Russian country fair sometime in the mid-1800s. And we hear a sequence of dances, the coachmen and the wet nurses and all the various people at the fair who combine their themes and dance these fantastic big set-piece dances just as in a 19th century ballet. But as these dances are winding down, into the fray once again come the trumpets representing Petrushka, who's again being chased by the moor, and we have this strange puppet music appearing at the end of the ballet as the moor chases after Petrushka and finally with his scimitar strikes Petrushka and kills him. Petrushka collapses in the snow to everybody's horror, twitches a bit. We hear the little remnants of his themes, and then he dies in the snow. Uh, and We hear the beautiful sound of French horns in the background just undulating as the snow falls. And the magician comes back. Everybody's horrified. A policeman shows up to check things out because people are disturbed. The magician says, look, it's only a puppet. And he shakes Petrushka, who twitches a little more, and then drags him back into the the theater, the magic theater, at which point the magician comes back out and sees on the roof of one of the, the booths, he sees the ghost of Petrushka, again, the two trumpets cursing him and cursing all of humankind. And the ballet ends with kind of a dull thud, this amazing, colorful, brilliant ballet. It's Stravinsky's ballet Petrushka, written for Sergei Diaghilev's Ballet Russe. The lead role of Petrushka was initially danced by the great dancer Vaslav Nijinsky. This performance is by the Albany Symphony, playing the 1947 version, a rather souped-up, brilliant orchestration that Stravinsky uh, just retooled later in life, different slightly from the original 1911 version. The Albany Symphony is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. Even though I initially designed this program to celebrate Sergei Diaghilev and the Ballet Russe, it turned out almost, without my realizing it, to be even more a celebration of and an homage to that amazing figure and that great dancer, Vaslav Nijinsky. Nijinsky had an absolutely meteoric rise with the Ballet Russe, and yet in the last years of his life, actually at mid-career, he sank into madness, what I, I gather was some sort of schizophrenia, and at the age of 29 was declared incurably insane, and spent the last 30 years of his life institutionalized and uh, being cared for, but completely incapable of functioning, pretty much of talking, certainly of dancing, uh, a very tragic end to a brilliant, brilliant career of a very delicate, inspired, and strange uh, artistic figure. Nijinsky began in the Diaghilev troupe as the lead dancer, but after not a very long time, he began to choreograph himself. And his first major choreographic project was a, a piece about uh, Greek antiquity. And he and Diaghilev looked around for a long time for suitable music and considered commissioning pieces, and then decided that the ideal piece for this choreographic poem would be none other than Claude Debussy's La Première du Fond, Afternoon of a Fawn, uh, a major, very brief, but very major work in the annals of music history that had been written some almost 20 years earlier in 1894. Debussy had written the piece inspired by a very celebrated symbolist poem by Mallarmé called Afternoon of a Fawn and uh, really meant it to sort of suggest in rather abstract terms this warm afternoon and this fawn playing with beautiful wood nymphs. And uh, the piece had an absolute overwhelming effect when it was first premiered in Paris because it, in essence, heralded the new era of the Impressionists. Now, Debussy never liked the term Impressionism. He really thought of himself as perhaps an abstract composer or a symbolist composer, but didn't really understand what this term Impressionism means. And yet, there is certainly the same sort of 
beautiful, coloristic, gauzy atmosphere that one finds in, in the Impressionist painters in Debussy's tone poem. So here now, the very first piece that Nijinsky ever choreographed, a work from before Nijinsky's career by Claude Debussy, here to open our second half is Claude Debussy's beautiful tone poem, Afternoon of a Fawn. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was Debussy's Afternoon of a Fawn, played by the Albany Symphony. The next work on our concert is a very exciting one for me because we brought it into the world. It's a world premiere, and it was a, a piece that was commissioned specifically for this program. When putting this program together, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have a new piece that somehow refers back to the era of the Ballet Russe? And so I called up a good friend of mine, the composer David Malamud, who's written some very brilliant pieces for the Albany Symphony's new music ensemble, The Dogs of Desire, and asked him whether he thought he could write a cello rhapsody inspired by the life and death of Nijinsky. David, being a very game fellow, was all for it and promised to look into the life of Nijinsky and also explore the music uh, that was played by the Ballet Russe during its great time. And so he set about writing a cello rhapsody and has come out with this piece. It's really a, a cello concerto. It's in three movements. The first movement is an abanera because, uh, according to one of the biographies David read, uh, Nijinsky's wife said that he always loved to dance the tango, and the abanera is very close to the tango. So it's a Latin dance sort of evoking Nijinsky's love of popular music, which he certainly had. The second movement is somewhat a strange, bizarre, disturbing, uh, but at times comical movement. David Malamud describes it as as a, a set of cartoon scenes. In the first two movements, what David said he was trying to do was to sort of climb inside Nijinsky's head as he was going insane. There's some very strange anecdotes from the period in which Nijinsky began to lose his grasp of reality, one in which he gave a dance recital and danced for 10 minutes and then stood and stared at the audience for 20 at the end reviewing their performances. So David, I guess, sort of tried to imagine what it might have been like for Nijinsky trying to look back at his life, but from a a position of being really not in touch with reality. So he's written this strange movement, the second movement, which is an extensive set of sort of cartoon scenes, including scenes from early childhood and a, a very big, beautiful waltz that evokes his days at the Imperial Ballet School, finally his relationship with Diaghilev, very stormy, and ultimately some very Russian music at the end as he goes increasingly over the edge of of insanity. The third and last movement is a very beautiful elegy. You know, I'd thought of Nijinsky because uh, he worked so much in France and so much of his career uh, was in France as as being very much French-associated. But David, rightly, I think, really pegs him as a great Russian artist. And so this last movement is a a beautiful Russian elegy, sort of a memory piece remembering Nijinsky. So here it is now, the world premiere of uh, David Malamud's brand-new Concerto Rhapsody for Cello and Orchestra, Nijinsky's Last Dance. I need to say a word about the soloist because we had a very special soloist play the piece with us. Uh, Ken Olson is a native of the Capital Region, born and raised here, attended Colony Central High School, and uh, also was a, a longtime member of ESIO, the Empire State Youth Orchestra, our brilliant youth orchestra in town. He went off to the Cleveland Institute of Music and got his undergraduate degree there, then went to Juilliard for a short while, then began taking auditions, and uh, at the age of 24, won the job as assistant principal cellist of the Chicago Symphony. He's now a grand old man of 27, still the youngest member of the Chicago Symphony, and having a brilliant career in his job with the Chicago Symphony. So uh, we asked him back to give this very exciting premiere, and he very kindly complied. So the soloist on this performance of Nijinsky's Last Dance by David Malamud is Ken Olson, 
of the Chicago Symphony. Uh, The Albany Symphony is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. That was the world premiere performance of David Malamud's Concerto Rhapsody, Nijinsky's Last Dance. The cellist was Ken Olson, and the orchestra was the Albany Symphony. Finally, the last work on our program is none other than uh, Maurice Ravel's French Impressionist masterpiece, La Valse. Now, La Valse doesn't have a specific tie to the Ballet Russe anymore, although at one time it did. It was at Sergei Diaghilev's suggestion that Ravel wrote the piece and expected Diaghilev to commission it. Diaghilev had had great success a year earlier by premiering Ravel's ballet Daphnis and Chloe, which was a huge success, and wanted a new piece from Ravel. Uh, Ravel decided to write this piece that he'd been thinking about for a very long time, which he'd originally wanted to call Wien, uh, the German word for Vienna, uh, an homage to Johann Strauss Jr. and the brilliant era of Viennese dance in the 19th century. And in 1919, with this idea that Diaghilev would create a ballet out of it, he set to work on the piece, renaming it La Valse. La Valse is an intriguing piece because it begins, although very sumptuous in French in many, many ways, it begins really as a rather standard version type of of waltz sequence. Seven different waltzes are laid out after a beautiful introduction. But then something very different begins to happen. The, The themes and the subjects of the various waltz fragments begin to break apart and recombine and become ever more wild and swirling and circling and kind of out of control. And while Ravel said this was just a, an evocation of the richness and beauty of a, of a dance in the 19th century, many or most of the scholars who follow really have felt that uh, this work is a depiction of the, the sort of collapse of 19th century culture after the First World War. You have to remember that Ravel was writing this piece in, in 1919, right after the war, and as the thing careens out of control and blows apart, it is in essence a, a very strong and powerful metaphor for the way the world of the 19th century was shattered by the war in the 20th century. In a certain sense, I suppose it's the perfect piece to end a program that pays homage to Václav Nijinsky, because like the world of the 19th century and the beautiful world of dance, uh, he began his life uh, in this very ordered world, and as he grew to maturity, uh, the entire world fell apart or crashed careening out of control as his incipient madness took hold. So here now, the final work on our concert, our homage to Nijinsky and the Ballet Russe. It is Maurice Ravel's La Valse. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony, and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live on WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music.